Welcome to the Stargate Archives, buried deep within Cheyenne Mountain. Greetings everybody, welcome to this new episode of the Stargate Archives in which I invite anybody from anywhere onto the podcast and they pick a favourite episode of Stargate SG-1 or not-so-favourite episode of Stargate SG-1 or Atlantis or Universe, not Infinity, and we have a chat about it. Brad is back this week. Yes, I know, it seems that the only person I have on the show at the moment is Brad, but he's always eager, even if it takes us <laughs> a little, little while to actually sync the schedules up together. How are you, Brad? I'm good, Mark. How are you? Not too bad. So, which episode have you chosen? Well... I went for SG-1 Season 2 Prisoners, and for the most part, some of these early episodes of SG-1, it's sort of hard to go back to because early SG-1, we've sort of got the age-old issues of we're going to get into trouble and need someone to help us, all that, and I've been re-watching a lot of Atlantis recently, and I sent you a message and said, I think it's time to revisit the Tower, but after re-watching the Tower, I... I was on that episode we done for the Gatecast, and I don't think there's anything more that I could really contribute to that episode. The main reason for revisiting was the fact that here we have a city-sized Atlantis underground, and it's never addressed again. So if the show writers don't want to address it again, then I don't need to address it again. <laughs> it was a bit of a mystery. The ancients actually built two, at least two city ships. At least, yes. And all they got up from it was a few drones. Yeah, all that crystal technology underground, we couldn't get <laughs> couldn't get anything up other than drones. <laughs> no, it's like DS9, Terek Nor, and Impact Nor. You know, oh, let's visit that. We need a part. They should be doing that every other day. There should be regular shuttle runs. And then considering what we get in the universe where we need parts, we need all this, and it would never have been again in the franchise. But uh, no, I uh, selected Prisoners. Like, there's some good stuff in here. There's some there's some mystery. There's once again we inferior to our surroundings it's something that carries on throughout the series i mean it's not as if it's early first two three seasons where we find the team have dropped themselves into the deep end not quite realizing where they're placing their feet thankfully it does it does carry on because years later we still meet races that are so far in advance of us that it's be so easy to make a mess and screw everything up it was a miracle they got out of this mess they shouldn't have done really what are the odds just by luck is something that carries through most of the series, but towards the end, like 9 and 10, season 9 and 10, it's more of, I'm thinking more when we visit Lucian Alliance planets or something like that, where we just turn up and we act all cool and <laughs> we don't really care what's going on because we're there for the greater good. These sort of smaller stories where we have no idea what the structural society of a planet is, diplomatic situation of a planet, it's something that's visited a lot in the early seasons. On the upside, at least General Hammond does get a chance to go off-world. For the first time. <laughs> <laughs> okay then, Prisoners, Season 2, Episode 3, directed by David Weary Smith. He ended up directing 11 episodes of SG-1 and a single episode of Atlantis. The episode was written by Terry Curtis Fox. Again, SG-1, three episodes. And he was the senior advisor, writing advisor, for seven episodes of SG-1 as well. I imagine early on, maybe Showtime, you know, wanted to make sure that the people, showrunners as they were back then, as we'd call them now, maybe just had somebody a little more senior, a little more experienced, just to look over the shoulder and make sure they weren't making any silly mistakes. 
so easily done in the first season, which can ruin a show and lead to its early cancellation. This episode first aired in America July the 10th, 1998. We got it in the UK September the 16th of the same year, and in Germany August the 25th, 1999. No date for Australia. That's not unusual, was it? <laughs> I'd say it was probably 2002. Yeah, <laughs> no, no rush. <laughs> No. You know, a, a big English-speaking market. Why would we want to sell content to them? Yeah. Right, the episode opens up with one of the oh. biggest, or at least close-up shots of a spider web in any show I've ever seen. If this was going to be the opening of a horror movie, it was perfect. The size of that goddamn spider <laughs> and the perfect <laughs> the perfect web that it has constructed in yeah. this foliage. I don't know if, you know, the Greens department or Props department actually made the web and then stuck a spider on it just for the look of it. But it certainly opened up the episode pretty well. Yeah. Oh, props to the location scout if they've found this and gone, let's start here. Yeah. Told the director, that's brilliant. It doesn't cost a penny. <laughs> it looks great. Yep. <laughs> They're trampling through the foliage and the forest and I think O'Neill's pretty much had enough of this. Yes, he's at times Jack doesn't have the patience when there isn't an immediate reward coming along. Or no enemy to shoot his gun at. You'd think he'd be quite happy with that, you know, but I suppose if this was a more uh, more comfortable planet, then he'd be willing to, you know, throw a nice beach nearby or something like that. Unfortunately, the uh, the ancients, whoever at this point, not quite sure who actually created and planted all the Stargates, they weren't keen on nice tropical paradises for their Stargates. Oh, look, <laughs> Canadian forest, put it there. Well, that's that's funny too. Like we, we get the normal Canadian forest and that, and there, there are a few episodes where we have more of this. It just seems more overgrown, more taken back by nature than the moss on the trees and all that in these sort of locations. And whether it adds to the episode or not, it does look for a fantastic scene. We know from later seasons and from commentaries that the Greens department were quite happy to add to the uh, forest to make it look slightly different. <laughs> As you say, the mist machine, the moss definitely, does make it look slightly less like a piece of Vancouver woodland. But it sort of adds to what we get later in dialogue that this is some sort of sacred ground that people don't normally visit as much to, which is probably why it seems more overgrown, more desolate, more um, not showing signs of people <laughs> being there. If they're walking down the cinder track, it, it would kind of give it away, wouldn't it? Yep. Yep, they've done an aerial survey. There's nothing really to be gained from this planet. No radio traffic. <laughs> O'Neill's like, yep, we'll flag it for aerial survey. Oh, no designation for the planet either on Wiki. Oh, one of those things. Most of these early episodes, early seasons, we know what planet we're going to. Carter or someone seems to like to exposit numbers and letters in a sequence to describe a planet. Either way, we hear some rustling in the foliage and a, a man approaches them by the name of Rushor, played by Kim Kondrashoff. Seems to be running from something, which is... I suppose you can understand SG-1's reaction. Normally, if somebody's being chased, the first thing you don't ask is, what did you do? You mm. think, oh, this guy is alone, he's unarmed, he's obviously terrified, and somebody's after him. In this case, Taldor. Daniel comes up with the, the excellent remark, Taldor is bad. <laughs> which, <laughs> yeah. Obviously, if it's chasing them. <laughs> Taldor seems to be, at this point, a word that can mean almost... Anything and everything. Cree. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Taldor, you know, is, is a group of men, and Taldor is the name of their leader, and Taldor is the name of the organisation they represent, and I'm Taldor because I'm being chased. <laughs> it's almost 
laying the groundwork for him to make the wrong decision. Yeah. You can understand why they made the decision to help him. They didn't set a trap for whoever was following him. They didn't arm the wep- get the weapons right, ready to shoot. They just, come on, come with us then. As they do find out a bit later, aiding in a crime is, makes you just as guilty as actually committing the crime. Mm. And it's not quite clear what the goal is. Are they taking him back to the gate or are they just sort of follow us for a moment so we can make sure nothing's following you? Or I wouldn't have thought they'd take him off, off world straight away. They obviously... If somebody's following him, they've got to break contact and then you can have a sit down and get more details about everything and actually make a, an informed decision rather than a, a knee-jerk mm. reaction to it. But they don't really get very far until they hear a noise, a bright light, and <laughs> there they go. <laughs> Was there no ship, a drone? What? They all look up, but there's just a bright light. <laughs> we don't yeah, know we what. Are, we are not spending money on a CGI spaceship for this. <laughs> Someone shine a spotlight down. That'll do. Put it on a little crane. Job done. Yep, and here we are once again in peril from a uh, civilization seemingly more advanced than us. Very definitely. So whatever decision they've made, whatever decision they were going to be making, has turned out very poorly. I mean, whenever you're surrounded by a spotlight from above, you're in trouble. (laughs) We, We know this from countless science fiction movies. This is not a good place to be. Unless you're in the uh, the local school production, you don't want to be have a spotlight on you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they find out that well, they get a disembodied voice, very uh, authoritative, very strong presence. You know this. I wonder. I'm, I still wonder if this was an AI at this point. It is very robotic. As we learn of the criminal justice system, why would anybody really want to sit on the bench? You know, you, it's almost as if you. Why bother? that's it there's no retrials any crime you're found guilty of you're sent to the prison there's no emotion in it at all so it does seem like this is all run by a computer yeah especially with the tech involved as well because they beam in weapons tech everything is being removed apart from the jumpsuit yeah and their patches on the shoulders everything else is gone i don't know are we supposed to assume this is reasonably instantaneous or something like a wraith transporter you know that held him in stasis for a couple of hours or something like that we don't really know no because that's the same earlier where or later on when having that come through the they walk into the gate and the next minute they're instantly here so there could be some sort of delay or some sort of halfway spot that for the story doesn't seem to be either way sg1 not particularly pleased about how they're being treated they do learn that rushaw is a convicted murderer they didn't know that. They also trespassed on uh, sacred ground. They didn't know that either. They're carrying weapons on sacred ground. Didn't know that was an offence, of course. As we know from our own judicial system, ignorance of the law is not always an ideal defence. No. <laughs> on the other hand, they seem, high court justices or whoever, seem to recognise the fact that SG-1 didn't mean any harm, and they were more or less convicted on the fact that they chose to help a convicted murderer. Which is more of a show of character than, than anything else. You were in our world, you got involved when you shouldn't have got involved, you weren't aware of the circumstances, and so any penalty has got to be carried forward. No, one of our citizens would not be treated any differently. And in many ways, you think, good on you, because we've seen time and time again in the real world, diplomats getting away with a hell of a lot because they were diplomats. Yep. And their worst punishment is they're expelled from the country. You think, you think, hang on a minute. <laughs> yep. So you can't argue with the fact that SG-1 broke a lot of their rules, and even though they were 
they weren't sentenced for breaking every single rule, the system seemed, even though it's supposed to be zero tolerance, flexible enough to say, give me a pass on that one and that one, but not that one. And life sentences is for life. Yes. Which, yeah. <laughs> which I'm pretty sure a lot of our, our judicial system is, oh, you got a life sentence. You know, maybe eight years with bail after 12. <laughs> yeah, that's the only problem. Too. If the life sentences were the default standard, then you, you'd be building an awful lot of prisons. Yep. Unless for some reason the population was getting called, called, yeah, uh, being reduced on a regular basis for some reason. That just raises a whole new series of questions because we know from later episodes, later episodes in the series that sometimes this is being done for population control or something like that. Is there a famine? Is there food issues? Is Have they reached their peak of society and can't progress any further? Again, it's one of those episodes that you ask a lot of questions for and we don't get any answers at all. They do say that crime is virtually non-existent. Yeah. And I can believe it. Your greatest problem would be drilling that into the young. You remember the TNG episode where Wesley gets <laughs> convicted for stepping on some flowers? Quite frankly, he deserved it, but, you know... <laughs> being young, you don't really know what you're not supposed to do at this point, you know. You're going to break rules that the adults know. Are the adults responsible for their offspring? It's a frightening thought. <laughs> Rowdy teenagers is our general term for Earth. <laughs> we get to see that across the universe. Yeah. I suppose some things you just got to, you know, let's go with the plot. They've laid down the basics. There's a lot of questions that need answering, but we are not going to get answers to them. At this point, SG-1 have been convicted and they've been sentenced. And credits. So we jump to the prison. Very nice indoor set. Mm. A lot of work's gone into it. We see a Stargate, some nice lighting effect as well. Nice blue blue effect to it. No DHD, though. No. And they get thrown through the gate and not beamed through the gate, which makes you wonder, is someone on the other side throwing them through, or are we a little bit further outside the network here? And <laughs> That spotlight it just hides the fact that it's standing on a trap door. <laughs> the gates. The gates. Yeah. <laughs> well, we don't actually see them come through the gate onto the planet, so... No, another cost-saving benefit. <laughs> yeah. They've got some sort of mechanism that lowers, tilts the gate over on the side, so when they want to trapdoor someone... There's some really convoluted tubing underneath there. <laughs> a giant water slide or something. Whee! You'll find a bit of enjoyment before you go away for life. <laughs> yeah, don't worry about the grey sludge. That's just... We use the same tube for the food. <laughs> We don't see anybody, but we hear some whistling. That's been done in other movies, and it's very That's effective. Picky. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Yeah. You're in a place you don't know what it is, you don't know who else is there, but you know somebody's there and you can't see them. Yeah, just a group whistling, and there's no knowledge of numbers. It could be two people, it could be 20 people, just the way it echoes through these chambers or catacombs or whatever you want to call them, tunnels. Yeah. But you've, you've got to laugh at the smoking boots. Oh, Tilk. <laughs> <laughs> looks oh the the only problem I've got with this is the fact that they're pointing sideways where later on when everyone's facing the gate it's like this guy I don't think I want to do this and before he could completely turn around he, he got vanquished by the uh, event horizon <laughs> or the kawoosh I, I suppose that you know it, it's a homage to every Warner Brothers cartoon that's ever been made <laughs> somebody running through a, a pane of glass that leaves a perfect impression as as they go through it the smoking boots, the... all of it. <laughs> yeah. 
we finally get a bit of motion in the background a lot of uh, very scruffy men start appearing all men this isn't going to be very good but what do sg1 first do oh yeah <laughs> the boots the scavenger as he's called in the credits david bloom he rushes forward to get the boots because i imagine that in like any prison you know if somebody leaves something behind you were uh, you nab it you never yeah. know what might have value yep but of course there are still feet in the boots <laughs> good luck digging those out <laughs> <laughs> well you, you need a bit more protein in your diet don't you <laughs> now we get our first introduction to Linnea here and she seems to rule the roost yeah because you, you've, you've got to assume that or do you that you know just as many women break the the, the rules as, as men in this society from the looks of uh, this population that's not the case yeah but even when we get the feeding time there's only there's only a handful of people here it makes you wonder how many people have been sent here how many people have faced the bush because, yeah, Linnea seems to be the only female, which, okay, this is 1998, maybe only men are conducting crimes, but especially when we find out later for what her crime was, she was probably a special one, but maybe maybe there's um, more leniency on the females in the society just because they're mothers or... Well, as we learn, their world, the, the islands, make up their society. Maybe the the plague that ravaged the population hit females a little bit harder, so they can't really risk or at least afford to lose women that could bear children. Yeah, yeah, it's more than possible. Whereas, you know, if men outnumber women two to one, something like that, then, yeah, chuck them through the Stargate. <laughs> Don't worry about your wife. The divorce has already been signed. She's free to, <laughs> free to remarry. All the assets are heirs now. Survival of the species. Yes. How many men get thrown through the Stargate for beating their wives who mm. may not have beaten their wives, are we asking? <laughs> Walks up to the local constabulary with a bruise on her arm. My husband, <laughs> don't, don't say no more, miss. <laughs> get him and, he's, and he's gone. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I've got a feeling that, you know, there are no lawyers on this world either. Oh, no. no. <laughs> They'll probably the first one sent for it. <laughs> <laughs> one of the biggest guys, Vishnor. Played by Mark Ackerson. Very, very familiar face. You'd have seen him in many movies, including Elf. Great little part in Elf. Uh, <laughs> also appears in three episodes of SG-1. Also appears on Stargate Infinity. He's also a very prolific voice actor. But he's a big guy. And Sam Sam gives a fair, you know, headbutts him back, doesn't she? Yeah, yeah. She, she she tries her best to fight back, even though he's got she's got her in a bear heart, a bear grip. Yeah, you've you got the got the feeling that if any women do come through this place, they're not in for a very pleasant time. Luckily, no. as you say, for Sam and for SG One, Lanier makes her presence known. She is a power. She is authority. It can't be because of physical strength. Definitely intellect. Uh, if you're surrounded by a load of uh, individuals who kind of organise themselves based on strength and threatening posture, something like that, then to get around that, you have to outthink them. Mm. Although, I do like that Jack Tilt looks scary. (laughs) (laughs) Tilt just, no change of expression. Yeah, that'll work. (laughs) We get a comment about uh, this being Botany Bay, colony where the prisoners of a nation are sent to. (laughs) Thank you, Daniel. Of course, half the audience thinks, what's that going to do with Star Trek? Well, <laughs> I know what that means for me here anyway. Yeah. We get them sort of grouping, how do we need to get out of here? And the manual dial's brought up, having a power source to manual dial. And 
like a Sam that says it's worked before. And I had to go back because I couldn't remember the manual dial being a thing this early in, but we yeah, got in Tormented Tantalus. Yeah. In this episode, the actual ability to create electricity makes more sense than what they did on Tantalus. <laughs> because that Malt was carrying an awful lot of wire and Tilk, God bless him, climbed up a castle <laughs> right to the very tip, a lightning rod on top. <laughs> yes, and wire capable of carrying... 21.1 gigawatts of electricity. <laughs> being vaporised. Yeah. <laughs> but we'll, we'll get to that because there's more issues with that dial we need to get to when we get there. But I do, as we start to venture through the set here, where the vine-covered caves, rooms, hallways, whatever you want to call them, there's some fabulous set dressing here. Yeah. And you know that one centimetre beneath that is the normal set. Oh, yeah. This isn't a rebuild. This is literally dressing an existing set to look different. Because you can see as they're walking through, there isn't as much room, and that's because there's tons of whatever it is. <laughs> Polystyrene, <laughs> straw, all sorts of stuff. Do you reckon this is the SGC set? Wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. As you said, all of it look close and claustrophobic. So Yeah. You'd have to probably have a good closer look at how they're walking and you know, make a few sketches of the layout. And my guess is that it would mirror exactly what we've seen in some other episodes. Yeah. I should have looked at a couple of episodes surrounding this either before or after and seen what sort of similar rooms or sets we would have had in those episodes. But it's definitely effective. We don't get into it later on, but we are underground. We're in, in these sort of catacombs or old tunnels. Yeah, you would have said the producers would have said, OK, we've seen what the production designers want to do. This is going to cost X amount of money for that. We can't show the Stargate on the planet. Uh, we can't show a CGI spaceship. We've got to have a, a perfectly black set with spotlight. <laughs> All these things to make other things of the episode work. And given how much time they spend in this cavern, in this cave system, as you say, uh, transportation terminal, as it, as it could very well have been, it works. They spent the money in the right place. We get the return of the scavenger, who is... <laughs> uh, to say he's creepy is an understatement. <laughs> Let's see what else we do. Oh, yes, Jack has a bit of advice to Daniel. Don't wear the glasses. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's take the glasses off. Oh, you've spent time in jail? Maybe. <laughs> Jack has lived an interesting life as part of Black Ops. At some point in his career, he has been a prisoner. He has been captured. I can only assume that he's seen someone with glasses be beat on. I don't think that any special ops that would have been carrying glasses, although he does have a hatred for scientists, so... <laughs> maybe there's been some beatings or torture because CIA or whoever sent pencil pusher with them and they compromised the mission. Well, no matter how you go about it, it, it is a weakness that can be exploited by anybody else. Mm. At this point, no matter what you credit you give to Sam for her physical prowess, her intellect, at this point, she's a weakness. Threats against Sam would influence how the rest of SG-1 would react we saw that in Emancipation. It didn't do Sam any favours, her character, but unfortunately it is a fact of life at this point. She would be a target. Daniel would be a target because he's obviously the weakest of the bunch. He's got glasses. If glasses are a thing for the society, it might not be, as we see later on. Either way, you don't want to give any show of weakness to anybody. <laughs> we get evidence that this is very much a dog-eat-dog community. If you can scavenge something and get away with it, fantastic. If you can uh, lay your hands on somebody else's property and they find out about it, you're going to get beaten. You may get killed. Mm -hmm. And at this point, Jack, that's not our problem. <laughs> yep. We've already messed up with somebody else's problem. Look where we are. 
Yeah. So let's just turn around and walk away. <laughs> yeah. Keep walking. Keep walking. But we cut back to SGC. We get, I don't know if it's Sergeant, I don't think he's addressed what his rank is, but reporting that he was given back SG1 stuff, report directly to the briefing room. Yeah, that is Major Warren, played by Colin Lawrence, SG3 team leader. We also get uh, Laura Sadiq as the gate technician, so no Walter in this episode. As you see later on in the episode, Bill Nikolai also appears as a gate technician, so it just shows you Walter normally does the job of two people. He's that good. <laughs> he is that good. <laughs> just love how it's report directly to the briefing room. Obviously, after you've been medically checked out, of course. Yeah. yeah. We're not going to forget about that, are we? Don't traipse all that mud through the gate room, if you don't mind. <laughs> in fact, don't walk into the gate room with fully armed either, just in case. Yeah. We jump back to the prison, Lanier. As she says, oh, I was expecting you. Eventually, all new arrivals come and see me. She goes into some of the background of the city-states which make up the Taudor. She hasn't heard of Earth either, which isn't surprising. There's no reason she should have. No. It would have been easy to say, oh, the Tari, you know, we may have heard of you, but SG-1, the SG teams haven't been that far out yet. No, that though, this planet seems to be untouched by the Gold, so you wouldn't think it'd come up in, in conversation that there's a planet there called the Tari that rejected the Gold or fought back. Yeah. I mean, are we to assume that this planet was on the second set of uh, coordinates that Jack put in after the fifth race? Well, it'd have to be, you'd think. Yeah, you'd think any world that even remotely, reasonably populated with a Stargate would, in the last few thousand years, have been discovered by the gold. Yeah, because even when we get the guy sort of exposed about Linnea at the end about destroying the worlds and all that, there's no conversation there of we fought for our freedom once, to defeat the false gods or whatever, and then she come in and there's none of that. There's no gold tech or anything here, so it'd have to be a, um ancient database. Which benefits the show. Not everything has to be about the gold and the system lords. No, it the doesn't. Jafar. Mix it up. There are human civilizations out there that have been untouched. They've developed some along parallel lines with Earth, sometimes totally divergent. It just keeps things fresh. Hmm. And here again, another one that hasn't sort of suffered the same dark ages that we may have suffered. And well, they've got beaming technology, so yeah, that's a plus. They're a little more inflexible when it comes to some of the laws, but then again, <laughs> there are nations on this planet who would who would applaud such measures. Well, we can't all live in the Star Trek universe. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. No. <laughs> right, we get confirmation that this gate is indeed off-world and underground. Uh, the idea that it was maybe a a transportation hub for a world that suffered some cataclysm. We also get some idea that Lanier controls this local population and that fear and hope are two very strong incentives. The hope being, of course, that if you get coerced, you actually escape. Yeah. Minus your feet. Yeah. I, I don't know if I'd want to escape. I'd be really desperate if I decided I don't need my feet. Well, that's... Is it, surely other people are watching, witnessing... The hope of escape, where people are standing up there and facing the kabush, and maybe one person's hope for escape is another person's hope for new footwear. But <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's also weird later on when we get those people standing up there and facing the kabush. The kush comes out at waist height. Yeah, don't <laughs> worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, maybe we never noticed that the, at the last millisecond you've got to leap into the air. And if you really leap, your whole body is coerced. 
And if you're not that good, then you lose part of your legs. Meat's back on the menu, boys. And it's not only that. The idea is, is, is this prison one huge test of character? If you can brave the Kawush and return to Taldor, all your sins are forgiven and you can, re- you can rejoin society. Because otherwise, why aren't they being sent back? Well, it's not as bloody as Jigsaw, so maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What are you willing to do to survive? Yeah. <laughs> Repay your crimes, come back into civilization. Yes, it's a, there's lots to nitpick in this episode, but there's, like I say, it's, it's actually not too bad. It's a lot of fun. Well, let's get into Cold Fusion, shall we? <laughs> because around this time, too, we started to get the chemical reactions and the, the additives, the, the things here. And it's one of those things here, season one here and season two, and it goes a long way into the, fran- into the franchise on a whole of let's get the knowledge of the gold. Let's get all this technology. And are they really going to get a gold in the in a cell in Area 51 and just sit there? Some poor bugger's got to sit there with a notepad and pen. All right, let's start with, uh, hmm, Naquita. <laughs> Let me know all the, the base elements of Naquita. How do you transcribe technology from a more advanced civilization to someone that doesn't know much about anything. Here we have Carter. Oh, wow. You're dropping some sort of chemical reaction into a plant and getting cold fusion. We get the same thing later on when she's um, when Thor's telling about describing the replicator cells, and she's like, wow, wait, wait, what's a Curon pathway? <laughs> like, it's yeah. just, it, uh, we can't handle the knowledge. Yeah, the genetic memory of the gold was always a dodgy bit of storytelling. I mean, from yeah. culture, society, all that, language, all that I can believe. Technical knowledge, because we see later on that Bolt employs other gold to do some of the heavy lifting. We know that. So I can't believe that every system lord, every gold, has intricate master's PhD beyond <laughs> level of technology and can whip together an aqueduct reactor in his spare time. But even the simplest one is Tilk. Later on, he comes out with all these things that we could have known. It's like, you did not ask. <laughs> like, yeah. of course. Of course we didn't ask. I wanted to stay on Earth, so I thought I'd ration the information bit by bit. Well, we if hadn't... I gave you everything all of a sudden. Yeah. We hadn't come across why, why does a Stargate dial backwards. Or well, you didn't ask, it didn't happen. So now I need to <laughs> give you this information. Someone plugged the power in backwards, that's why. Yeah. To be honest, though, this idea of organic cold fusion, it works for the episode. And is never addressed again. <laughs> well, unfortunately, Lanier took all the activators with her and she scrubbed the computers. You know, the computers that she'd only spent half an hour with was able to program and all sorts. Me, half an hour yeah. with a new computer. First PC I got, it took me probably a couple of days just to get it out of the box. Oh, we're going to get to that when we get there. DOS? What the... What the is DOS? <laughs> Right then, so we also learn about SG-9, which are a diplomatic team, SG-3 for all the gung-ho, they're, they're not going back straight away. This has got to be uh, delicate, delicate work for the Stargate Command. Shows that there's more, just the uh, the Marines or the, the teams going, and we've got the diplomatic team here, which we get more of later on in the episode, and I just wonder why we don't get this character back, <laughs> SG-9 back. Yeah, you'd think having a, somebody, a regular, maybe a recurring, not regular, but at least a recurring character who we can be familiar with, like they later used Wolsey for. Mm. Somebody who has diplomatic training, maybe not ambassador level, but expert negotiator, somebody that can be called in. 
ideal that if there's a, you can have an episode where SG-1 gets into trouble, gets out, and be told that SG-9, led by Major Kovchik, is going to clear up the mess. Mm. And then you can take it as gospel that mess does get cleared up. How many episodes do SG-1 escape? And we, like you say, it's never mentioned again. Yeah. Like the actor that we get later is leader of SG-9. He's these conversations with Hammond, like, no, sir, this is how it's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. He may be the general, but this is how diplomatics work and all that. And it's just, he's got some great dialogue and he's, he seems like a fine actor. It's just, we never deal with it again, even though in later episodes and probably two episodes from now, we get into deep shit again and we don't have the <laughs> diplomatic team. Yeah, I imagine that SG-9 get very, very busy. Very, very busy. That's why we don't see them. They're always off-world somewhere else. Yep. Back in the prison, Tilk has got somebody by the neck. I don't know what the guy did, but obviously he shows some disrespect to one members of the SG team. I don't know if the guy's... He must be standing on a box. I'm sure that Christopher Duke, while he could, <laughs> could quite easily do this, the actor in question may not appreciate it. No, or the insurance company. <laughs> there is some pressure there, because the guy's neck being forced upwards, and he's got a double chin at this point. <laughs> this is prison life for you, you know. Never show any weakness. Well, nobody's going to mess with Tilk. Daniel, if Tilk's not about, yes, definitely so. Oh, very feminine looking. I love your hair. Hey, I'm going to own it. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of hair, Carter's sort of running around here as well on just the whole super hold moose. Just <laughs> that mop of hair on her hair is just solid for the entire episode. There's so much hair gel or hairspray on that. You've got to say that while Daniel is a civilian contractor, there are times that Sam maybe should have had it a, a lot shorter than she normally does, even though, as we know from real world in the US Air Force, that the women are a lot more leeway than the men in terms of how they can have the hairstyle. But, yeah, you think a buzz cut worked much better. <laughs> yeah. It worked for Ripley. The best thing about Alien 3 was Ripley when she's showing all the hair off and you think, right, badass. <laughs> <laughs> My next note is mealtime. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> that's not good I think I'll just chew on a nice green vine on the yeah. wall you need something solid in your diet you've got to have something solid in your diet <laughs> you know? I don't some sort of cornstarch and I don't even know what else <laughs> it's very green it's yeah. very pasty I mean there must be a local water source there's got to be a local water source well when we're with Linnea in her abode there you can hear the gurgling water whether that yeah. there's some sort of fault or stream that runs, underground stream that runs through the facility or whatever else. But whatever they're eating, you need some way. Look, by prison standards, this is not good. <laughs> You've got all these men down here. They've got a liquid diet. You've got to have running water to at least get the get the waste out of the cave. At best, oh. this place can't smell very good anyway. There's got to be airflow. And if there's airflow, has anybody ever tried to escape by other means? Yeah, that, that answers asks a whole lot, a whole lot yeah. more questions. Is that stream of water just a uh, a wastewater stream? It's got to be, you know, an, an old water pipe that they cracked open, and if you want to go, you just got to squat over it. <laughs> oh, by the way, when you collect drinking water, do it upstream, please. <sighs> we see Vishnor is the man in charge of dishing out the, or at least deciding who takes their food first. Linnea is the alpha of the prison, she gets first dibs. I don't know if that's really much of a benefit given how it's transported down a very rough-looking tube into a trench, into a <laughs> trough. At least she has seasoning. That's all right, then. I don't know what you could add to that. 
if you figure out cold fusion by adding a few elements that actually convert atoms into new atoms and release energy, then she can make that thing edible. A chemical action won't make it won't make it into a hamburger <laughs> though. Tastes like chicken, whatever chicken is. <laughs> Banana. So we're back at the briefing room. SG9 is giving a bit of a briefing. It tells them about there's zero tolerance on this planet, almost no crime except crimes of passion. Anybody see the resemblance to Minority Report? Mm-hmm. A punishment that is so severe, people actually do not commit crimes unless they just lose a temper, then regret it. Yeah. <laughs> they are more advanced than us. Yeah. Let's not go in guns blazing. Major Lawrence, he's all for literally going back. And I don't want that in my SG team members. He must know that that is a wrong decision to make. Is he making this offer knowing that did the general said, no, lad, I appreciate it, but no. And make a note on his report. Yes, uh, very gung-ho. I remember him. <laughs> but Hammond, he's, he's going to be the diplomat. You know? <laughs> yeah. I don't think so, general. I think I didn't see his people in person. That's not going to... No, it's not going to work. Hammond is an excellent diplomat when he's the highest-ranking member in the room. Maybe not so much so when he has got to ask favours from somebody else. But that's the going thing. Of it's, it only matters when the people in that room are your subordinates. <laughs> yeah, when, when they are not in a position to disagree with you. Yeah. We jump back to the planet, and Sam is with Lanier. This is where we see that Lanier has got a few condiments to make the goop go down better. Uh, <laughs> oh, from paving cement to mayonnaise, I don't know. <laughs> whatever, yeah. <laughs> it's like going to the catering and saying, right, what you got today? Can you blend it yeah. <laughs> in quantity? What is it, shrimp? Yeah, that'll work. <laughs> Can you put some rice or hokey noodles with this or something? Can't be too thick. Got to be runny. <laughs> Just keep adding water to it. Obviously, Linnea is also expecting the fact that uh, the SG team may want to know exactly why she's there. Yeah, that's one of those things. Like We know from what we've dealt with with Hammond and the uh, SG9 guy what people are sent there for, but SG1 doesn't really know why people are there. If this is the bad, the worst of the worst, or as we know from Hammond's side of things, this is just everyone that breaks crime. So maybe the age-old trope of, I didn't do anything wrong, I'm here innocently, and maybe that's why she's here, but... She tries to play that, and they were sick. <laughs> I tried to help, and got sent here yep. for me. Yeah, it's reasonable. It makes sense. It certainly would see her being sent here if she was considered to blame. You know that the Taldor would punish her for this, even if it was purely a mistake. She also points out that the balance of power of this society has changed with the arrival of SG-1. Linnea has had to intervene. Vishnor, as we've seen, is... It's subservient to Lanier, but doesn't just certainly doesn't like it. No. Back at the SGC, Hammond is ready to visit the planet. I'm not sure if whoever over the Tannoy, when the special envoy, <laughs> was that coming from the planet, or do you think that was somebody in the gate room just having a laugh? Yeah, it's weird. And the other thing that's weird also is why is he going in combat fatigues and <laughs> the bulletproof vest and they're like... You're going for a diplomatic mission. Why aren't you in your brass, your blue suit, your blue shirt? And yeah, you should be there showing power and not force. I would assume, given that SG three have been there in turn, SG nine have been there in turn. He could have had an honor guard. He could have had support personnel with him. Chief ambassador would have, you know, attaches with him. They could certainly be the military part, as you say. He just needs to put on an appearance of authority, of intelligence, intellect. 
he is not going with that in mind. No. First of all, he's worried about the gate, walking through the Stargate. He's worried that no, they've he's, got the right address. <laughs> That's his worried. He's worried that they dialed the wrong address. Yeah. Oh. I mean, he, get, he gets a bit of good advice. He's given advice from other men, members of his team, and he's nervous as hell. That I think that's why he actually kind of bites at the major. This major does so much here. I just why does he not come back at all? <laughs> he's so great here. He's like convincing him and calming Hammond to let him know what the go is. And yeah, it's just a shame. This is the only appearance in the franchise. He's played by Andrew Wheeler who has, I've got to say, a, a very impressive little resume. His IMDb is full. Definitely a busy uh, working actor, as you'd expect. Most of it is Vancouver, Tin Man, Dead Zone, The L Word, some movies in there as well, The Day the Earth Stood Still. Let's see, Ring of Fire, series later on, The Killing, Supernatural, Lucifer. This year he did Riverdale, episode of Riverdale, and uh, recently iZombie as well, so it will certainly have been available. yeah. Maybe they just decided they didn't want a diplomatic team. Well, we've got Daniel. Later on, Scara and Clarell had that little tribunal. The diplomatic team would have gone. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> Backed up by SG-1, but no, our heroes, they want to be front and centre. Ultimately, I think it comes down to that. They've written this episode and Brad Wright's gone, wait a minute, <laughs> we've just replaced SG-1 here. Yeah, we've, we've written a great character and a great idea, but we're never going to use them again. Yeah, that's a shame. <laughs> So the general goes through the gate, go to Taldor. We go back to prison. Members of SG-1 are having a, a discussion about what to do, what is required. They need electricity, they need power. Where will they get that from? No, the gate what, activates. Ah, uh, yeah. Daniel tries to stop them. Yeah, Daniel's also drawing gate addresses on the... Uh... Yeah. Like, oh, we could go here. No, we can't go here. Oh, but... yeah. No, we can't go here. <laughs> If you can remember to actually write them on the ground, I don't think you need to write them on the ground. Yeah. It's just something for Daniel to do instead of just sitting there with his arms folded. Whereas Jack, he, he's quite capable. He just sits there, arms on his knees. Yeah, okay, carry on. Weird, like, earlier we had Daniel, you're the gate man, you know more addresses than any of us. I was like, really? Does Tilk not know more addresses than Daniel? Most of the addresses Tilk knows leads to Jafar homework. That could be an issue. <laughs> Given how many times the gates aren't guarded, you know, you could, I'd roll the dice. Yeah. The Tulak gate is probably still unguarded. Tulak's better than this place. What they need is an alpha site. Yeah, they do. You can dial two or three times and then wait for... No, oh, no, they haven't got their radios. All right. <laughs> yeah, that, that is the only problem, really. Yeah. No radios and no GDOs. Daniel, Daniel... Oh, I'm just, I was shouting at the screen. Daniel, what are you doing? Don't get involved. Get out you, of the way. <laughs> yeah, you're putting yourself in harm's way. You are messing up with a society which you know... They view this as a way out. Worst case scenario, you're going to get beaten. Best case scenario, you're going to get killed in a rather painless fashion. Yeah, it's going all the way back to emancipation. We've we've seen indoctrination. There's no convincing people. Yes, okay, Tilt may, may have turned, but that was a one-off. <laughs> this is not a way of escape. These people think we can escape. Hell, they're getting gruel once a day and living in a vine cave. It's... <laughs> This might be a better way of survival yeah. by not living. This idea might have been around long before Linnea got there. Yeah. And my guess is Linnea knows, she does know, she knows it's a load of nonsense, but hope is keeping these people from going totally feral. Yeah. It's not stone-clad guarantee, but it's 99%. If you can stand there in face of this, you might just get out. 
And again. Daniel now has challenged Vishnu. Hmm. <laughs> ah, well, at least this is some floozy on the layer of the yeah. lady's legs. Yeah, we have got one new prisoner, though. It's rather important in the grand scheme of things. Hammond is praised for being most punctual. The Taldor really put a high value on the timekeeping. If you're going to turn up at one o'clock, you better well be there at one o'clock. Because if you don't, you know what happens. Off to the prison. <laughs> yes. Uh, that's you know that is a frightening thought actually. Mm. Is that why they are so you know serious about punctuality? <laughs> the punishment for being late for your doctor's appointment is, de- is banishment. Well, we see the gruel arrives at the same time every day. <laughs> that's it. What they haven't told you is the punishment is twofold. You can you toss this coin if you get heads, you go through the stargate. If you get tails, you go to the kitchen first, then you go through the stargate. <laughs> well, I don't think so much a kitchen other than maybe a stable. <laughs> or just a great big mincer. Yeah. Oh, dear. <laughs> Unfortunately, you know, uh, the major's with him. Hammond in his usual, I'm responsible, I sent these bits. He doesn't mean he's responsible for actually doing this, Your Honour. <laughs> this is a very high-priced lawyer trying to make sure his stupid client doesn't convict himself by opening his mouth in front of a court session where everything is recorded. Is this just not another version of Jack and Daniel going at it? It's like, Jack, Pretty Daniel, much so. shut up, Daniel. <laughs> it works better here because, you know, obviously Hammond is an intelligent individual. He is well organised. He has risen in rank, not through deeds on the battlefield, not through great strategic thinking. He's just very proficient and efficient at his job. This is where... He lets his emotions get the better of him, and thank God he's got the Major with him. Because the Major manages to derail everything the General says. Because he says, yes, I will swap myself for my men. He doesn't mean that. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and again, this is where the Taldor actually show the fact that it's not zero tolerance. It's 99.99% zero tolerance, but they've got that little bit there that says, yes, you sent your men here... You didn't know about the sacred ground. You sent them with weapons, though. Did you order them to help a murderer? And we've got to assume that this guy was a murderer. It might have been in the heat of passion and just lost his temper. We don't know. You didn't give SG-1 orders to help convicted criminals. And that's what they did. But also, they're telling him that there's nothing we can do. Like, there's no... At any time, there's no realisation that, okay, well, maybe you can't come back from where they're going. He always seems to think that, well, the Taldor has sent them there and refuses to return them. It's not the fact they're refusing to return them. They can't return them because there's no DHD. Yeah. You go there, there's no return. They, they could have said that a lot earlier. Yeah, exactly. Said where they went, there is no return from. Or something like that. And We can't yeah. even give you the coordinates of the world because we don't know where the hell it is. Well, they've got a dial. Yeah, they know, they've got the gate address, but yeah. there's no guarantee that even if they got the, they gave the gate address to the SGC, that it will be in their records. And they, from that, maybe they could, given enough computer power, determine roughly where the planet is. Mm. Hey, we haven't got a spaceship anyway, so that's not really a problem. Yeah, <laughs> that's going to be a few seasons away. <laughs> Let's face it, SG-1 is screwed. They're on their own. <laughs> right, so as we saw, Daniel challenged Vishnu. Vishnu was well on his way to killing him, until Lanier intervened, purely for selfish reasons. After all, Daniel dead, she ain't getting off the planet. Yeah, and it comes up later of the surprise of Daniel winning this fight, and it's never questioned. We never ask why she has this device on hand, why it's controlling him specifically. 
or anything. Doesn't appear to be gold technology either. I can understand most of the prisoners falling for it because they were watching the fight. They weren't watching Lanier. But Jack, Sam and Tilk, they know Daniel. They they could see what was happening. And even if they didn't actually get the idea that she intervened, they'd be thinking, what the hell happened there? He's in a chokehold. There's, there's no way out there. There's, there's not, the reason that chokehold is so effective is that you don't escape in the first few seconds. You ain't escaping. No, you're going to sleep. <laughs> Daniel was taken back to Lanier's little boudoir where she uh, treats him. We also have the prisoner there as well, Simeon. Uh, Michael, Michael Putonen, 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 yeah, Michael Putonen. Again, another actor that's recently been in Riverdale. A lot of Canadian actors have been appearing in Riverdale just recently. And why not? Certainly bonkers. This isn't his only appearance in Stargate either. He's, he looks very familiar. When I made notes, I didn't actually write down any other appearances. Seems like he was in Atlantis as another villager or something. Yes, he was. He was in Atlantis, the storm. He was. I just watched it too far the other day. <laughs> <laughs> That's why you recognise him? Yeah. Oh, was was he that guy that betrayed us? Uh, or was, it, was he working for the Jedi? They went to him to arrange going to their planet. Yeah. And he sold him out? Yeah. Yeah, I remember him now. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit more time's passed, I don't want to say, but I think he lost a few more hairs off the top of his head as well. <laughs> uh, well, once that starts, there's no stopping it, unfortunately. Uh, no. No, it is not. <laughs> Every man alive with male pattern boldness remembers the day when, hang on a minute, that's getting, that's receding a bit. <laughs> genetics. Damn you, genetics. Simeon is blind, but Lanier, well, she has a, she can fix that. She is, as we know, she's a medical professional. Unfortunately for her, she doesn't think of the consequences of actually curing this guy. But again, I suppose, you know, when a whole world, maybe a whole world, seven islands, don't know how big the islands are, what the population is, what are the odds that when she cures him and he regains his eyesight, he takes one look at her and runs screaming from the room. It could also answer the question why she's so high regarded in this prison. If she's got the capability of being a medical practitioner or being able to cure stuff like this, maybe Vishnu or Anad have had issues. Because as we were saying before, this is squalor. <laughs> this is the bottom, yeah. bottom of the basement. Like You're not really getting the nutrients and that you're getting. And if you're going to have sort of ailments, then maybe... Maybe she's able to fix them, and that's why she's so high in esteem. I mean, even you've got to consider that most of the light source here is not the spectrum of the sun they're used to. After a few months, even, your humans in this sort of environment, scurvy, rickets, the old diseases. <laughs> well, where's Schmeagel? <laughs> yes, it's kind of an extreme example, but yeah. yeah. There's no vitamin D, anyway. <laughs> Jack, for some reason, throws on an Irish accent and praises Daniel, <laughs> Danny Boy, for winning his first fight. He does. Can't know where that came from. <laughs> what the hell? Yeah, that's something different. Fortunately, Daniel awakes, his brain's firing on the all cylinders. The Alpha Sight. Yeah. Hey, what? <laughs> SG, did he say SG3? SG3 are going to be there in a few days. Brilliant. Yeah. Yep. There's mission briefing. They were going to go there, so we can meet them there. Yeah. Daniel listens to mission briefings. And it's only come to him when he was being strangled to death. Yes, brilliant. You know, when, when the pressure was on, Daniel came through. Just goes to show, in the original movie, Kurt Russell should have just strangled him. Or... <laughs> yes. Yeah, just, just let anybody else handle it. Ferretti or, you know, Kowalski. Yep. Any of them. A precedent's been set here. <laughs> so uh, later on, when we're trying to find Atlantis, just strangle him. Yeah. 
At this point, they decide that best time to actually escape this place would be feeding time. Everyone gets a gruel. Yep. Well, everybody's kind of separates. You know, you, you don't want to be near anybody. It's like two food bowls for two cats. One of those cats is going to ignore their own bowl and eat the other cat's food first. Yeah. So this is exactly the same. You get your food and you get somewhere private and you eat it. Yeah, before someone else can pinch it. <laughs> yeah. Can't no, yeah. wash your bowl out, really, can you? Jesus. <laughs> uh, <laughs> let's just say the flavour builds <laughs> from meal to yes, meal. <laughs> yes. You don't want your, your bowl washing because after a few months, it really retains that mm, meaty flavour. Yeah. But we get the gates start to open and they all sort of start rushing in with that prof. <laughs> I love here how why Daniel decides to let his friends eat first. They're, they're about to escape. All you're doing is creating unrest. If something would get to go wrong and you couldn't dial the gate, then all of a sudden there's going to be violence. I imagine that that is what the prisoners expect. If that doesn't happen, then the world's gone wrong. The Alpha makes a decision. Yeah, but he calls Linnea up, which we've seen before, and that's that's fine. And everyone, as soon as she's taken her food, <laughs> food, as soon as she's taken a bowl, like, <laughs> they all start to go, and he's like, no, 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 wait, 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 they're first. I'm like, no, just let them grab their stuff and go, and then we can enact the plan. <laughs> Perhaps Daniel was thinking, thinking, what if it doesn't work? What if we need two goes at it? I'm in charge. I want to be in I'd... charge tomorrow. <laughs> I don't think they're going to get much nourishment from this <laughs> to get a day ahead, but each their own. Hikers eat a lot less than this in vaccine packs. You're absolutely right, yeah. <laughs> and then we get to, we are doing something important music, which is, it's almost MacGyver when we start to get the MacGyver theme play where we start to do something from nothing, where SG1 more so, we start to get this theme of we're doing something important. And not so much a montage here where they just, oh, there's a coil of vines here and something else here and we're just going to bring everything together and make it work. Yeah, nobody noticed that we were setting all this stuff up. <laughs> it's been there for a day or two. No one's noticed. Yeah, this is basically, look, this is Lanier's. You don't touch it. You know yeah. it's mine. You don't touch it. Yeah. And, well, okay, they're wrapping these vines around the Stargate. Fair enough. They're also wrapping it in the inner circle of the Stargate. Yeah. So, I assume the idea is that once the wormhole is activated, then it's self-sustaining to a point. 38 minutes worth, maybe. But otherwise, all these cables are going to be cut straight away. Carter drops the line earlier. We just need to, paraphrasing, deactivate the inner ring lock or something. We just need to get some power to the gate to be able to spin the inner ring. And... It was the same with Tormented Tantalus, where we've <laughs> wrapped the uh, the winch cable from the map around the uh, the gate, and that's going to transfer power into the crystals somehow. Yeah. Yeah. I've got to say, I still like the idea that the gate itself draws power from any source it's got around it automatically. Magnetic fields, geothermal, it can do that. You can put it on any planet, and it will generate its own, it will collect its own power. Well, the whole concept of the Nequitur is that it's an energy absorbent. and it, Yeah. There's a whole reason, even in SGC, there's no cables or wires going into it. It's just the fact that there's clamps on either side of it that power transfers through to charge the material itself. Fifth race, Jack did have to give it a boost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It got a little, got a little <laughs> bit of a boost. <laughs> Perhaps that, that, you know, that eighth Chevron needed an extra couple of joules of energy to unlock. But the funny thing here is they get the power, Linnea drops into the plants and they start to hum, <laughs> and they just all stand back and the gate comes on. 
Yeah. There's no manual dialing whatsoever. You could imagine that Tilk starts to move it and he gets caught on one of those vines. <laughs> Can you just lift that vine up, please, while I spin this? Who's got the cicatures? <laughs> <laughs> but again, you say, we're not going to worry. It's plot details that gets the story to go where it needs to be going. It's fun to criticise, but when you're watching, watching the episode, you just go, ooh, it's working. Fantastic. And we have an escape. 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 <laughs> Which, That's it. The fact that they're yelling escape means it's happened before, you'd think. They didn't rush towards the gate so fast when it dialed in before. You know, when somebody was going to stand before it and get kawooshed. It's almost as if they know something's going on. You know the gruel's coming at a certain time each day. Yes, you, yeah. know, you haven't got timekeepers, you haven't got the sun, so... If you're placing rocks along a line every so much time, there's, it'd be very hard to keep time down there. But the fact that the gruel come through and then within a certain time after that, the gate's activated again. Okay, it might be a um, a prisoner coming in, but still be... Well, we've seen earlier, the gate activated and people like, oh, I'm going to stand here and try and face the kawoosh. <laughs> Whereas this time it's just, no, nah, we're going to ignore it. Yeah, it's almost as if even the prisoners themselves, the only time they may have seen the gate work as an exit would be when they were sent to the prison but chances are that they probably wouldn't have seen the seen all the intricacies they would just be in the prison and then thrown through a working gate anyway yeah they just yeah just turn up as yeah. the gate's already active if they were familiar with the stargate if this culture used the stargate all the time anyway for other things then maybe they were to go hang on a minute we could get out but then they'd also know about the kawush being not a way out Either way, make, funny seeing all the all the prisoners thinking, right, let's follow them guys. It'd make for a lot less interesting prison break series if he's just got a picture <laughs> at the gate and a single address on his tattooed on his back. <laughs> I'm going in to get my brother. It would, wouldn't it? Yeah. All right. The gate activate. They make a dash for it. You see prisoners in the distance or running towards it. One getting closer and closer. Well, he's gonna, is he going to get through? Is he going to get through? Yeah, Ooh, he got through. Another one. He's going to... Oh, no. <laughs> he didn't make it. And the look on his face. Hopes are dashed. That must be brutal. You know, first of all, oh, I'm going to spend my rest of my life here. My life might not be very long. I hope it isn't very long. So much <laughs> so that, <laughs> kidding yourself that you may escape by being coerced is the best alternative. And then suddenly the gate opens and you think, hey, they're running through it. I ain't seen... Let's follow him, quick, quick. <laughs> oh, just imagine if you hadn't tied your shoelace and you tripped over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hesitation normally leads to disappointment. Let's assume that everybody else in that prison deserved to be there. Nobody was there for littering or anything trivial. They're all bad men. And then we can sleep at night. Well, it would explain why there's never a return to flee, uh, to free him. <laughs> you don't think we actually, you said, you know, we're not really bothered about diplomatic relations. No. Because, let's face it, nobody wants to visit your planet just in case. Yeah, exactly. And we don't we don't know the gate address for this prison either. We might get some information if an archaeological team went there and studied the ruins. I don't think they'd survive a week. No. Especially that this is sacred ground. It's just not worth it. Not no. worth it at all. All right, Hammond is delighted. He's a bit curious. Who's this? Yeah, weird, because they walk down the gate. It's like... What are you doing here? It's like, didn't you see an SG signal when the gate was opened? Like, it wouldn't have, it wouldn't have been SG-1, but surely some SG team would have sent a signal so the iris was opened. I like the fact that this, this is questioned. We have a system in place for a reason. Yeah. <laughs> and so, okay, SG-1 gated to a planet where they knew another SG team would be, and they lend them a driveway, uh, what's it, opens up? <laughs> driveway. Oh, 
<laughs> garage oh, door opener, Junior. That's it, Gary's door opener. <laughs> I knew it was something to do with a car. <laughs> driveway. <laughs> driveway, driveway, scanning device. <laughs> and the fact that that other SG team couldn't have known for sure SG1 who were who they said they were. Couldn't have known for sure. You're going on a mission, a random mission to a planet. All of a sudden, SG1's there, or come through the game and say, hey, we need your arse to get back there. I was like, wait a minute. Okay. We've had 10 men. We've had other episodes where there's been compromise of SG1. Oh, yeah. Okay, here you go. Yeah, you can't even say, no, you stay on this planet. You take our supplies. We will get back. Yeah. We will have a word with the general, and then we will return, and we'll sort this out. But no, borrow mine. <laughs> then you're looking at a two-parter. That's <laughs> not what they yeah, need. Yeah, you probably are, yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, Lanier is welcomed. General is very thankful. Uh, she says, oh, this is, you know, very alien. And, well, yeah. <laughs> Finally, let's go do a medical, just just because, just be sure. <laughs> we are. They're in the infirmary, you know, we've got a computer. Oh. All our thinking that, that, you know, Lanier is doing a Scotty here, you know, picking up different technology and understanding it reasonably quickly. She's definitely pumping these, you know, Sam and the Doctor for information. Yeah. Understanding how the SGC handles atomic structures and mole- molecules and everything like that. It's almost as if, you know, she's being helpful. <laughs> Meanwhile, pumping them for information on gate addresses. How is this, all this information stored? How can I access it? How many gates are there? Oh, by the way, if you do this, you can do this. Yep. Yeah. Now my, my turn to ask a question. I have a, I have a thing here. You spoke of a machine of storing data. <laughs> And we get Sam sit there behind a computer, and oh my god, this monitor is the size of a mini Morris. They're a mini miner. Yes. <laughs> Definitely a, a VGA display. You know, the resolution isn't oh. fantastic. That's yep. the only problem, isn't it? TV shows, movies date themselves on technology, so even more so than if they include current music. There's yeah. nothing, nothing worse than watching a movie that was set in 2005 and hearing us. A song which was the greatest thing in 2005, and you think, oh god, that's not good, is it? <laughs> and, and some some series find a way around, like reincarnation of Battlestar, where if I'm supposed to be analog and not digital, they they can hide stuff like this. But yeah, even here, like we get to, I think it's season nine before we actually get a complete retrofit of the gate room and the <laughs> the control from CRTs to to monitors and flat screens. They even get a holographic display. But, of course, that came from the System Lords. <laughs> yeah, meanwhile, they're having a chat with the escape uh, prisoner, Simeon, who let's drop the fact that Linnea is not the mm, godsend they expected it to be. Yes, well, he was a medical professional. We get a second side of the story. Slightly different. I don't know if he's just... We're meant to believe that, OK, he's going to tell us the truth of what really happened. We've already got her side of the story, whereas it's not said in the episode whether the disease or the sickness gave him blindness but if he was made blind by this and he would have a pretty strong hatred for her for that even if she was trying to cure them and there's always been the discussion of destroyer of worlds where okay well this is a couple of islands or whatever else was she a native to 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 this planet had she come from somewhere else none of that is explained at all unfortunately raises that speculation and questions. We don't know if they, whatever media they have, we don't know if their government or vested interest decided to pin the blame on her. 
we don't know if somebody you know messed with her research we've we've got stories we've got narratives she tells one Simeon tells another in the grand scheme of Stargate canon we know that she is not a nice person <laughs> well especially what we get at the end of the episode but <laughs> yeah but as, as you say at this point we've just got conflicting stories and people who are doing the telling we've got to judge people by their actions what she does after this is not the action of a, a nice person on the other hand she also says I didn't kill you I'm paying my debt by not killing your world. <laughs> yeah. Jump back to the infirmary. She has become PC literate, you know, within hours. Got all the information she needs. Is she storing all those gate addresses in her memory? <laughs> I think she is. I think she is very, very intelligent. Yeah. And having a good memory always aids in that endeavour, being able to use knowledge successfully. It doesn't help when... And this is never going to sound good however I say it, so I'm just going to say it. It doesn't help that she's played by an older woman and memory is maybe not something that they're known for, but it's just the fact that she's just scrolling through all these gate addresses. We're seeing Abydos and other pictures come up to describe where some of these addresses go to. And if we've seen... Well, it wouldn't be onto a floppy disk, but if, if we've seen this go to a hard drive or something that she didn't put in a coat or something... Oh, I don't, God, I, this is heavy. Or... I don't even know how she'd use that off-world, so it doesn't matter, I suppose. But just the fact that she's skimming addresses here and, yeah, yeah. we get the lockdown. We even, we even get theatrical movie music, so you know things are serious. Mm. Unauthorised gate activation. Hammond, he's not running, but he's walking fast. <laughs> he, he, he's serious. Well, he hasn't had the self-destruct activated yet, otherwise he would be rushing. <laughs> I mean, this is where you see the two gate technicians as well. Jack is with the general. He orders Jack to do some computer work, which is quite mind-boggling because <laughs> Jack knows his own password because he's got it written down on his hand. But apart from that, Jack is not, not, the, not the quickest when it comes to operating the base's computer systems. We've got a 30-second, or I think it's 35-second self-destruct countdown when it starts. and I entered it. It didn't work. We're locked out of the system. And that's basically all I can do. Yeah. Well, <laughs> the IT department said, this is your self-destruct password. Remember it just in case. And given that this has happened three times already since I've started working here, please remember it. Yeah, but that's just the fault of the system. Is it Hammond's password that's not being accepted or Jack's? Are we going to start a um, switcheroo where, okay, well, Jack and Carter go? No. Carter and Hammond go? No. <laughs> oh, damn, caps lock is on. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is mechanical keyboards. It's possible. Yeah. yeah. I do believe we do get a shot of those keyboards in some episodes, and they do not have the uh, the num lock, caps lock, and print screen lights yeah. at the top of them. So, well, to be fair, in this case, it it is a numerical sequence, so we'll give them that. Yeah, but I know for sure that the times my password gets screwed up by the people that I that I allow to use it because of caps lock, <laughs> and I've told them time and time again. Okay, if it doesn't work first time check the caps lock if it doesn't work a second time come and get me <laughs> do not do it a third time <laughs> do not lock me out <laughs> right we see Lanier at the activated gate she's pretty expressionless she walks through countdown is going down everybody's in panicking I'll give them that yeah I'd, uh, I'd always th thought from memory this episode that she says all debts have now been paid before she walks through the gate I, I didn't realise it was something that was in text Yes, the computer she, she later, programmed the computer. Yeah. God bless her. Yeah. And the fact that the whole 
self-destruct as a charade. Yeah, I love that. Almost as if you, you expect on screen sight. Yeah, yeah. It just <laughs> the it, power goes out, and you think, okay, she's programmed the computer to cut the power to reboot. Although she might have figured out it automatically reboot, and then load the subroutine, which gives the text on screen saying, "Right, we're sorted. We're good. You let me escape, and I didn't kill you." Yeah. It's like, where's the kaboom? There's always an earth shattering kaboom. It, just, it, just, it ticks down to zero and they're like, oh, what? <laughs> uh, well, that was a fib. And then it's like, oh, let's go after it. Dial, redial the address and... Yeah, <laughs> On always, cue. I, I mean, have we definitive proof that when the self-destruct system is activated, this goes through the entire Shire Mountain? Or is this restricted to a few levels that the SGC operate on? Yeah. Because I can remember, if I'm up in NORAD, minding my own business, just seeing if the Russians are going to do a preemptive strike, and all of a sudden the self-destruct comes on and saying, oh my God, level 28 again. I go, I don't care, I'm sitting here, I'm not leaving. We've got one minute, I wouldn't make it out anyway. Kavanaugh's up there just writing a thesis. <laughs> no, writing the memo, they've done it again. They've done it again. <laughs> yep, so basically the episode finishes with, we let her out, very ominous. So, yeah, you'd think, well, we're going to see her again. They've laid the groundwork. Um, we do, to be honest, we do see her again. Maybe not, not in the sort of episode you, you would expect. No, definitely not. Not when State, Destroyer of Worlds. What we get later is not that. What, okay, so she's experimenting again. I think the biggest problem here is we don't really... We have these sort of two conflicting stories of what she did or what she was supposed to have done. Where curing a sickness, creating an illness... When I hear Destroyer of Worlds, I'm I'm thinking alien mothership. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Blowing the hell over the planet or, yeah, a, a sickness coming across the planet. You'd have to be pretty unlucky for that sickness to kill everyone unless it's radiation. <laughs> Prisoners, I thought it was a um, good episode to talk about and we've definitely had some good discussion about it. It's definitely a cree for me. Oh, let's, oh my God, let's not start that. <laughs> <laughs> that, didn't, that didn't work as well as I'd hoped. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Although, next time... Comtria and Cree. Okay. I use Comtria as you know as a buffer for every episode we did. Yeah, I heard that. Harlan <laughs> saying that. Yeah. So yeah. I'm thinking, why did I do this? Just put little sound sound bites in Cree and Comtria. That'd work. Yeah. So we do see Lanier in an episode. Well, we see a version of Lanier in an episode later on. She's also appears in a novella written by Sally Malcolm, Behind Enemy Lines. Yeah. It wasn't a novella. It's a novel. Novella, really. Novel. Novel. <laughs> For some reason, Wiki calls it a novella, but when it's got 184 pages, that's a novel. <laughs> so we do see the character again in print as well. But like you say, Prisoners was a halfway decent episode, yeah. Yeah. It put a lot of time and effort into it. Very good guest actress, Bonnie Bartlett, played the role very well. Yeah, and I, I just love how, love these episodes where so far out of our comfort zone. The only reason we get out is we discover this woman that has chemical powers to power the gate. Okay, maybe you could plot right something. There's some sort of lost power source in the ruins or something else to get out, and I'm sure that could have been the possibility as well. But in these early these early seasons, these early episodes, we aren't as competent off-world as we think we are. <laughs> no, that is an understatement. <laughs> but, no, yeah, good pick, though, Brad. Good pick. Right, then, you want to give us a quick rundown of the other various podcasting endeavours? Oh, dear. <laughs> Movies by Minutes is continuing. We're on Jurassic Park for a minute, so although I haven't posted on the website since Christmas, you can find all our socials, links to socials over on the website, jurassicminutes.wordpress.com. 
we're on any social media at Jurassic Minute. So working feverishly through Jurassic Park 3 and we'll soon, like by Christmas, we'll be looking at Jurassic World, which should be interesting because I don't like these new films at all. I now understand the hatred of Star <laughs> Wars fans between prequels and original trilogy. <laughs> I can watch Jurassic World. The last movie is god-awful. Yeah, and the fact there's half an hour cut from it on the island, which is the more the more interesting <laughs> side of things. It just ah, oh, it's a shame. Anyway, and you know, you know, there's going to be another. Oh yeah, they make that much money, there will be another. The worst thing is when Colin Trevorrow come forward and said, "I'm going to do a new trilogy with Jurassic World, Fallen Kingdom, and then whatever the third one's going to be." He had a story across the three films, which that's one thing the original trilogy didn't have. They made Jurassic Park it was a hit. Spielberg asked Crichton to make a novel sequel to Jurassic Park. He did. Spielberg ignored most of it. And then <laughs> Jurassic Park 3 happened. We're going to get Jurassic World 3. Unfortunately, if it makes another billion dollars as well, I fear for the franchise after that because it's not something that needs to continue. It's not Fast and Furious. It's not Star Wars. There's no universe here. It's, yeah, anyway, let's yeah, not. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> like Brad, if you want to join me for an episode of Stargate, get in touch with me. Let me know. Pick an episode. It can be your favourite, it can be one of the episodes you love to hate, doesn't really matter. Any episode from Stargate SG-1, Atlantis or Universe, quite happy to talk about. We have started the season See It or Skip It, that is going to be, I'm gonna, hopefully going to be doing all 17 shows of that eventually, but that is a commitment as we shown in the first episode, which ran for a long, long, <laughs> long reign time. That was a long record. <laughs> <laughs> If you want to get in touch with me, you can find us at stargatearchives.com. Email stargatearchives at gmail.com. Uh, we are on Facebook and Tumblr and on Twitter at TheGateCast. Social media, again, is reasonably busy, especially Twitter. We're well over a lot of followers on that, so much so it's difficult to keep everybody organised. <laughs> All right, everyone, pick a number. Yeah. Right, until next time then, thank you very much, Brad. Always a pleasure. Great to return to the uh, podcast. Until next time, I've been Brad. And I've, no, I've been Mike. <laughs> oh. I've been Mike. And I've been Brad. That's it. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. Goodbye. <laughs>